once professional marketers were itty bitty baby marketers, going to school trying to figure out and learn the basics. And they learned things like the four P's and phrases like right message, right time, right person, right place. The basics. Now because of that, when two marketers talk, they know what they're talking about. There's a shared knowledge, a shared understanding of what these terms mean. In employer branding, we don't have that same foundation. None of us went to school, none of us went to college and have a degree in employer branding. When I'm talking about an EVP, what do I mean? It's very likely that your understanding and conceptualization of an EVP is different than mine. Same thing for employer brand, same thing for brand direction. There's any number of terms that we use and throw around every single day in which it's very possible that we are talking past each other. So in this, the fifth episode of The Brand Plan, Marcus and I lay down the law and define the basic terms that we use every single day. You're listening to The Brand Plan, the podcast about the intersection of talent, brand, and strategy with your hosts, Marcus Body of 33 and James Ellis of Employer Brand Labs. Hey, Marcus. Hey, James. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are things in London? Uh, things in London are lovely. I'm playing trumpet in a jazz gig tonight, which always puts me in a good mood. So, you know, hopefully that, that will carry me through this, this next episode. Well, that's good. That's good. Chicago is getting uh, its wave of forest fire smoke, so it smells like somebody's oh. camp. It smells like I'm camping 24-7 right now. So it's a, you know, okay. It's, I mean, it's better than some of the times Chicago smells, but, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> so uh, this is our fifth episode. I guess we're making this a going concern, right? This, this is, a, this, you know, it's a lot of work to get these things stood up and get them ready. But now that we're kind of finding our cadence and finding our groove, um, I'm feeling great about this. Absolutely. And, you know, I just want to say a big shout out to everyone who's given us kind of positive feedback and, and you know, we really appreciate it. This is obviously a bit of a bit of a new joint venture and there have been some really kind words, uh, both in public and in private messages. Thanks so much to everyone for, for reaching out. Yeah. And if you're interested in reaching out more. So obviously, you know, Marcus and I are on LinkedIn. Um, you're Marcus Body and I'm the War for Talent. Easy to find. Very simple. We've also got a website, thebrandplan.show. And the neat little trick the website does is you have a little form you can fill out and ask us questions or kind of say something or tell us our video is funny looking. Or you can actually leave us a voicemail. There's a button in the bottom right-hand corner of that website. Click the little microphone. Leave us a voicemail. Spoiler, we may end up using it on the show. Who's to say? We don't know yet. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So, this being episode five, it's finally time to talk about some the serious stuff, unlike all the other stuff I guess we've been talking about. Um, I've always joked that because employer brand is so new, it's very easy to, for someone to come in and say, I'm going to tell you what the definitions are, but those definitions are very, very biased because they're going to set me up to sell you this thing that turns out that only I sell. Let's try and wipe the slate a little clean here, take the, uh, the big eraser to the big whiteboard, and set up some definitions that anybody can use when they're talking internally, when they're talking to an agency, when they're talking to a practitioner, when they're talking to somebody in another company, right? One of the things I feel like is when I talk to some TA leaders about EVP, they know that their friend over in blah, 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 blah company got an EVP and it didn't work for them and therefore all EVPs are bad, yeah, which yeah. is... Not fair, but here we are. So let's come up with some nice agnostic and, more importantly, useful definitions around employer brand. How's that sound? That sounds brilliant. Yeah, and I think it's it's a really helpful thing. We, we have to do this internally at the agency all the time. And, you know, even the people who work in this all the time will constantly be talking to each other going, what do we think this means exactly and pedantically? Because, it, you know, actually, if we're going to work together on projects and you're going to have a team of five of us working on something, we have to all agree exactly what we yeah. meant by something as well. And it's really, really important to just know what you think it means and be absolutely crystal clear with, you know, whether it's your stakeholders or a supplier or your colleagues about this is what I am doing now. This is what I mean by this phrase. And, you know, who cares if someone else has got a different definition of it? Well, you know, I'll know it, but I, I'm fine with my def That's absolutely fine. But I think you do need to know what you mean by it. Don't assume that the person saying to you, oh, yeah, your EVP does this. They may have a completely different definition there that they're working to. And that can cause you all sorts of problems later on down the line. So, yeah, I mean, where do you want to start? Well, we're talking about very abstract concepts here. I mean, I find myself, I have to write about them and kind of say, okay, where am I drawing that line between these two ideas? To me, they're all glummed up, but it doesn't matter because it's just me in my head. Uh, but 
even individually, it's good to know what's going on. So I think a good starting point is we've talked about talent strategy. We've talked about employer brand, employer brand strategy. I think we should we could start either by defining an EVP or we could start by talking about the kind of contrast between an EVP and an employer brand. A lot of them, a lot of people conflate them or, or just you know decide they're the same thing. Let's let's put some light daylight between the two. Sure. Okay. Uh, shall I go first and then you yeah. respond? So I mean, sometimes the way I put it to people is that you know. If you're going to take the language, so the, the, the whole phrase value proposition comes from consumer marketing. It's something we stole from the consumer marketing world. Um, as indeed, some of you based in London may have met Simon Barrow, who did it. Um, he, you know, I bumped into at conferences various times. But the idea was, we'll take this language from consumer marketing and turn it into something that we're going to use in employment marketing. And if you take that original version, the EVP is the logical sell. That's all it is to, to the person who might work for you is this is the sell for why you should come and work here in the same way that the value proposition for a chocolate bar was these are the reasons you want to buy this chocolate bar and, and reasons plural, right? That was always built into consumer value proposition It's more than one thing. And, and it, but it's quite a logical thing. Whereas once you start moving into branding, you're now moving away from the logic of stuff into the emotion of stuff. And that's, different. I'm just going to explain why I think that's different and why I think that's important. Um, I have the, the Marcus theory of buying and making decisions, which is that the, the amount of logic you put into a decision is inversely proportional to how important it is. So to put that in context, I recently bought a headset to use at work, which is something not very important. And I spent hours researching every possible headset I could buy and then bought the best one. And I've read the reviews and all the rest of it. Whereas the flat I am sitting in, which is worth considerably more than that headset, I bought by walking in the door and went, oh, it feels lovely. I then back rationalized that with lots of logic of, oh, it's got good transport links and it's in a nice bit of London and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But actually almost like the big decisions you make incredibly emotionally. And I'm afraid moving employer is a big decision and you are going to make it emotively. It's going to be based on a feeling, a feeling that going over there will be better for me, a feeling that going over there will be more enjoyable, a feeling that going over there will challenge me more. And it's not something you actually know until you get there. And then you find out if you were right or not, but it is very, very emotive. So I think value propositions tend to be very, quite logic heavy. When you move into brand is when you're going to start injecting the emotion into that thing. But you've got to have the logic in place first to know what emotion you're going to go and try and drive. So there we go. Yeah. That's that's my blurb on EVP versus employer brand. How about how about you? Well, first I'm going to tell you I don't I I, I like the Marcus theory. I think it's a nice add-on to all the math and the brain science that says we do actually make big decisions emotionally and we post rationalize yeah. why that is. And there's lots of studies and 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 you know to get into that. But I I think it's an interesting kind of corollary to say look it the level of of, of importance to you is how you measure that. And I think you're 100% right. You do make these decisions emotionally. And I think yeah. what happens is, is because these decisions happen over a great deal of time, we're slowly collecting information and impressions yes. and touch points about said company, sometimes subconsciously, right? We saw the commercial or we know a buddy who did a thing who connected, said something nice or said something bad about the company. And that moment, you know, to Google's point, the zero moment of decision or the zero moment of, you know, whatever is when you're on that job board and that logo pops up and you go, oh, do I, I feel something positive or I feel something negative about that. And that is like, that is so much of where the decision gets made, that, that initial funnel entry decision. It is emotional, and I think that it is complicated because companies are vast organisms, most of whom do not talk to each other on a regular basis, if at all. And so consequently, yeah. what customer service does impacts employer brand, what leadership does impacts employer brand, what recruiting does impacts employer brand, everything impacts employer brand. But it's not like they all got into a big room and said, hey, everybody, how are we going to talk yeah. about our employer brand? And how does it affect customer service and product selection and feature selection and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so consequently people are forced to make these very complicated amalgam pictures of the company, right? I'm never going to apply for a cable company because I've once had to talk to a cable company about service. And once you have that phone call, you're never applying for those jobs ever again. I'm sorry. It's just, it's not an exciting moment, but the employer brander didn't sit and show up in the customer service team and say, you should really be as boring and as, as less as unhelpful as possible. That's, that's useful. 
No, completely. And, and this is most job decisions. Like, actually, my last job move was weird in that it wasn't that way because I was coming back to a company I'd worked at before and a lot of the management team was still in the same place. But that's really unusual that I actually knew what I was joining. Every other job move I've ever made, I haven't known. I've had strong suspicions or weak yep. suspicions or like I've had greater or le lesser levels of confidence in what I'm doing. But it, it's kind of so I think that's where I would tend to draw that dividing line is if you're in the field of coming up with a logical case why someone should join you, you're in EVP territory. As soon as you start going right now, let's turn that into something, the emotive version of that, that is going to actually move people to do something. Now you're in the territory of branding and you're going to be in the territory of coming up with a creative look and feel and, you know, strap lines and videos and, and emotive things designed to make me feel a way. Okay, now we're in the realm of employee branding. And these things are completely related to each other. And, and I would, would hasten to add, this also applies if you're using it internally as well. Same thing. If it's the logic of why someone should stay with you and thrive with you, you're in EVP territory. If you're in the, here's what we're actually going to send to all of our employees, the swag perhaps to kind of make them feel motivated and loyal. Right now you're in the territory of employer branding. You're now doing the, the thing that is going to make them feel the way you want to make them feel. Interesting. And I, I want to kind of add on, I think most people, when they hear the word emotion, they go to very, very base, simple emotions. I want to feel happy or I want to feel yeah. angry. Like they're very raw emotions. And, and, and really there's so many different reasons why you like working there. You feel, and the word feel is important here, like I'm connected to a larger idea. I feel like I'm connected yep. to a larger team. I feel like my work is valued. I feel like my work is seen outside the universe and people appreciate it. I feel like, like there's a whole list of things you can feel. And I think one of the challenges and one of the things that gets us in the employer blanding land is we think the emotions are simple and emotions are incredibly subtle yeah. and they are created so many different ways but i think we have to say look if you're going to pinpoint to me i think of them as motivations as much as emotions but what is the reason yeah, yeah. you're driven to do a thing that's all feeling that is all emotion but it's not just raw um you're gonna feel happy every day. Like so many websites feels like, it's all stock art of people smiling, right? It's all just the yeah, same yeah. over and over. Like I've been at a lot of companies and maybe I'm just a sourpuss, but I've never seen as much smiling at work as I do in the stock art that com covers your website. So tell me what's going on there. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's I think particularly, um, we, we notice it obviously because um, the standard of dentistry in Britain is not quite what it is in the States and we sort of see your websites and there's a lot of white teeth going on and you go, well, they obviously don't employ anyone British there at all because we don't have dentistry that good. But um, yeah, I, everyone knows there's a veneer, right? And, and we've got a sophisticated audience who know when they're being marketed to and that's okay. They, they will tolerate a degree of marketing, but if it goes too far, okay, now they're not going to believe you anymore. They, they don't mind you showing you on your best day in the same way that, you know, if I'm going out for the night, I might put on some smarter clothing and I might iron this shirt a bit more carefully. You know, that's fine. Everyone accepts that within a degree, but there comes mm -hmm. a point where you go, oh, no, no, now this person is lying to me. But anyway, yeah. should we, should now we it's get... all Potemkin village. It's all just, yeah, it's all yeah. veneer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to add one more thing because I think it's interesting the way you're talking about the connection between employer brand and EVP and the way, and I know we're about to get into what does an EVP look like and what can it look yeah. like. My metaphor that I go into is that the employer brand is the sum total of all your activities and all the feelings around what it's like to work there. The EVP is the tent pole that props all that up. It's a big tent, and if without that EVP, it just kind of lies flat, doesn't take up much space. The tent pole of the EVP says, okay, now you understand all the room in which you have to work. That's kind of, yes. and it's a, it's a rough metaphor, obviously, but it's, it's, it's just a, a different way of showing the connection between the two. I think where there is going to be a significant difference, though, is exactly which EVP definition you're using. And I think that's where we should go next, because there are, I would say there are two distinct camps on the definition of an EVP. And I know some smart people in both camps. It's fine. You just have to know which one you are doing. And, you know, this is a conversation I have with clients a lot. And, and I'm going to put it this way. The big differential is, is an EVP what you are offering employees or is an EVP what you are offering employees and what you are expecting from them in return? And those are two very, very different things. And you, there are some smart people who use alternate things. I'm very much in the camp of no, it's what you're offering. The, keep it simple, keep it succinct. What you're expecting in return is gonna be defined somewhere else, possibly in a competency framework, possibly in your values, in a different thing. But if you try and do both at the same time, you can end up with something that doesn't really do either.
Yeah, not dangerous. It up. Yeah, you're in the yeah. Swiss Army knife territory where none of the blades seem to do much good. Yeah. But you've got 17 of them, so yay, good for you. I think it's really risky because, like, all employers enjoy far more explaining what they'd like everyone to be than they do like talking about what they're actually going to give those people in return. So I think yeah. it's quite helpful to keep them separate and, and keep your EVP. This is what we offer. This is what someone gets out of working here in the same way that the customer value proposition doesn't include the money you're expecting from them, right? It is yes. what they get out of this. It is a yes. one-sided version of the transaction. Um, and I, that's what I would use if a because client said to me, which definitions would we use? Because it's designed to draw people in, to give them a reason yes. to learn more about you. And you don't Completely. do that by saying, this is what you're going to get. Like, you're, you know, this is what you're going to give me, right? It, 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 if it's serving the purpose of attracting and giving people a reason to engage, telling them what you want from them is not the way you do it. It's also because what you want from them, normally companies don't have a problem with communicating that. There's plenty yeah. of that in the job ad. It's most yeah. of it. So you don't <laughs> need to start requirement, requirement, more. yeah. Right, yeah. So there's normally enough of that already. I don't think you need to create even more of that than you already have. So, so my advice would be, if you don't know which one you want to do, my personal bias is towards just keep it the value of that what that employer gets employee gets out of you however some of you are going to have evps that have been constructed under a very different idea which is that it should include what you, what you are expecting from them in return and that's okay as long as you know that's what you're doing um but you will have to use that thing slightly differently because now it, it includes things that you're asking from people and so you know it won't necessarily make a very good headline in a job ad you don't want your headline to be too demanding. You might want some demands within the advert, but it could send you off down something very negative if you don't handle it correctly. You can handle it correctly, however, though. It's perfectly possible uh, to do that route well. Oh, yeah. But, you know, let's take Goldman Sachs as my personal litmus test for most employer brand stuff because they're so skewed to one side of what they're offering and what they're demanding. Their employer yeah. brand doesn't say, give us your 20s, but let's be fair. You read more and you hear more. It's like, yeah, give us your 20s and 30s. We know. They don't attract people by saying, you can give us your 20s and 30s. They attract people by saying, there is a pile of money at the end of this particular rainbow. Do you exactly. want a pile of it? Exactly. I, I mean, that's an interesting one, actually. Sometimes I talk to clients about work out the shape of your employment promise, because some of you are promising me an immediately brilliant thing right now. And some yes. of you aren't. You're offering me delayed gratification. Come and work for us and have quite a difficult time for a long time. But at the end of it, you can buy the enormous mansion and the, you know, and the place in the Hamptons and whatever it is that you're aspiring towards. And that's a delayed gratification offer. Okay, right. But you, you have to know which one you're doing. But yeah, so I think that thing you have to decide right up front is what kind of EVP am I doing? And then you can start thinking about, okay, now that I've decided philosophically what I think it is, how am I then going to structure it? Yep. And, what's the and shape what's, of it? What's the um, architecture? Yes. Exactly. And and this is where I'd say fairly assertively, there are no right answers. I have structured them completely differently for completely different clients. I always want to find the structure that works for you, not the one that looks nice in my PowerPoint deck. Um, and, and every single client I've worked with, the correct structure for them has been unique to them. And very often it's driven by something else that exists within your business. If you've got four values, I might decide I want to have four EVP pillars that fit alongside your four values. If everything in your company is in threes, your consumer brand is in threes, your, your slogan is in threes, you can bet your bottom dollar I want to have an EVP that has three things in it because it's going to fit within how your business talks. If uh, I'm working with a business at the moment where their, their new positioning narrative is very narrative, paragraph of text, no pillars, no brand house, fine. The EVP is going to be a narrative, no pillars, no brand house. It needs to match the structure of how your business likes to behave and likes to communicate. And that's where things get a bit complicated about what those are. Have you ever walked through an art museum and asked yourself, how come this bunch of squiggles is worth millions? Or how come this Georgia O'Keeffe painting is so magnetic? These artists had the same paint, the same brushes, and the same canvases as everyone else. So why are these paintings so compelling? It's easy to say that these artists were more creative than others, mostly because creativity is misunderstood. So what is the root of creativity? Stay tuned to find out. So, I mean, I don't know, where do you want to start, James? Well, how, how would you tell someone what a brand house is? How, yeah. <laughs> 
brand house or house of brands? And that's a whole other conversation right there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let, let, let's let's table that particular fight for the moment. Leave that, that with the Complicated, and yeah, yeah, and it does tend to affect much, much, much larger companies a lot more yeah. often than you know anybody smaller than a thousand. I think of e- employer the EVP as you know a label of ideas, and I think of them in in order of um, almost maturity. Right, you start, and let's say you're a hundred person company, you're growing, your things are going great, you want to kind of attract a certain person. And I say, of all the thousands of wonderful things you could say about your company, let's pick four or five that are really, really specific to you, that are attractive, that you can prove, that have a, a level of value, that are real, all those things. And just the fact that you're limiting and removing all the other potential options, you're creating what I think of as a brand direction. It's like, look. You yes. don't have to know exactly your compass heading, but generally north, south, you know, northwest is great. It's going to get you. And then when you hit 500 people or 1,000 people, let's reevaluate. But you don't need a, a full-fledged four-pillar EVP for 100 people. That's like making a Dewey Decimal System and you only own three books. It's like that's overkill yeah. uh, uh, you know, at, a, at a super light. So I think of – so smaller is employer or brand direction where you just focus. Then you get to brand promise, which is a further distillation of that focus. That is in the form of a promise. If you work here, you get, we promise you these ideas, these things, these, these opportunities. And you can, there are 4 million ways to take that. And then once you're a larger company and a more complicated company, and you've got more rigor around your thought processes, your communication style, right? Everything you all, you said about, is it a narrative? Is it three pillars? Is it four pillars? Does it match your values? Does it match your whatever? That is where EVPs happen because they are very architectural. Right? They're very structural. And you can say, hey, how do I take this piece and apply it to that audience? Because you're usually at that stage such a big company that your generally employer brand isn't going to fit everyone equally. So you have modular functions to say, how do I speak to data scientists and biologists who are radically different audiences, but not feel like you're talking to them like they're, they're not working with the same company? Completely, completely. And I think, you know, some of this is going to come back to you need to think through who's going to use this thing. Once I've made it, who is actually going to pick this thing up and use it? And and in particular, I talk to a lot of clients about who are the users who are communications professionals and therefore are used to like complicated brand structures. There is no point creating a complicated brand structure if the people who are going to use it all the time don't do that kind of role. If it's like, so the internal comms team are fine with like a brand house that's a little bit, we'll come on to them in a minute, but you know, they're, they're used to a more complicated structure and that's fine. But quite a lot of people in TA don't come from that background. They've come from being, you know, they might've been in an agency, then they're coming to, they're people who are good at talking to people, right? So actually you don't want to create a model that's optimized for writers. You want to create a model that's optimized for someone who likes talking to people on the phone because that's what you've hired this person for being. So create a thing that they can use if they're going to be the primary users of it. And, and you know, that whole how complicated should we make it is dictated by well, who's going to use it. Like if you're, your, your external agency should be able to use whatever you create if they're any good. That's not a problem. But it's particularly the internal users of this thing. Who are they? And therefore, what's the most helpful thing you can give them is, you know, is worth thinking about. And, you know, make the language appropriate to them. You know, calling it pillars makes it sound quite formal. So you can have pillars, but just call them themes. And that will seem less alarming to people who are not brand and comms people. You know, it's what they are. It's fine call them that and you know that brand promise at the top of it or sometimes we call them a driving sentiment or something is yeah it's the one-liner it's the elevator pitch is that if you were stuck in a lift with someone who said hey you should come and work with us because what's the end of that sentence right and it's it's not going to be four pillars and a powerpoint slide because you're stuck in a lift with them it's going to be a sentence and that thing is incredibly helpful for all sorts of people that's really helpful for like our creative teams when i hand a creative team you know, an, an EVP that consists of a number of pillars, I can see their eyes glazing over. But when they latch on to the brand promise, they go, oh, great, yeah, yeah, we'll do some ads based off that. They're very excited by that. That's the thing that they're going to get, they're going to latch on to and expand on. And, you know, it's bringing it down to that point of simplicity that is appropriate for who's going to actually use it. But yeah, decide what you want your EVP to be. Then have a think about how you might be able to structure it and what else it needs to sit alongside and then work out what the right structure is for you. I've been asked by so many clients before, how many pillars should our EVP have? And it's kind of like, well, I don't know until we've done the work. We will discover that as we go. It's as many as we need and as few as possible. 
but for some clients that's been two or three for other clients yeah. that's been six it really does depend I, how much you've got to say i i worked with a client where it was 10 and i'm wow. not gonna name the name yeah but Think of the company that has the widest yeah. possible Britain brand house where one yeah. branch has nothing to do with the other. That's where it was. And we can talk offline who that was. Yeah. But anyway. I mean, in all seriousness, a client a while ago when I started on a project like this, uh, one of their senior stakeholders who wasn't in comms or HR said to me, oh, we don't need any more pillars. It's starting to look like a Greek temple around here. And I kind of understood how he felt because like they had all these pillars for different types of branding. It was like, okay, right, we we're not going to use the word pillar at all and actually you know but they don't you don't necessarily have to be the same in every part of your business i can remember years ago getting to work with a company where we ended up with a four plus one model and we had four global pillars that everybody used and one local pillar that changed depending on which part of the business you're in that structure i've never done for anyone else worked beautifully for them i, I have no doubt I, I will do something similar for someone else in the future it's all about figure out what your business needs and then go with that structure don't just download someone else's one and delete their words and put your words in because it's not going to be optimal. It's not ad libs. You have to, you're describing yourself. Like if you look at a dating yeah. site, is there anything more complicated than having to say, what's that paragraph you write about yourself and why someone should date you? Like that is just like the nightmare. That's what employer brand is. Why yeah. this company? You can express it in dance if you wanted to. You could express it in song, in free verse if that was a thing. A drum solo might work. It might be, hey, a couple of words. It might be a paragraph. It might be a story. There's so many different ways to do it. And so I like that you know we're uncoupling EVP and the dogma around it. It should be a certain shape. It should be a certain like this. It really is what you need it to be. So provided your intention is to tell a story or to tell, explain to a stranger why they should work for you, knowing that they may be applying in the legal team, in the customer service yeah. team, or for your next CMO job. And it should apply to some extent equally to all those roles. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and actually you, you bring us on to, I suppose, like a little related side topic which is all the other VPs that various people have at various points. So you're quite ever going to run across people using terminology like TVPs for target value propositions towards particular parts of your workshop. Um, you might run across SVPs. I've done a couple of SVPs, which are sector value propositions. Why come and work in construction? Why go and work in law? So like in the UK, for example, governmentally, there were various drives to Im improve recruitment in particular sectors. So then you get a sector value proposition and you have, you know, you might have career value propositions, which are different. You know, how do you persuade someone to go into accountancy, even if it's not an accountancy firm? So like there are all the other like versions of EVP that exist as well that aren't necessarily now about an employer. They might be about a sector or about a particular profession or indeed a profession within the local value propositions. Are we going to have a version of our EVP that is for Scandinavia? Yeah, sure, you might do. But you kind of you need that common point to start from. And that, yep. that's yep. normally what we're talking about. Yeah, I, I, cool. I bake some where, where that's applicable. I try to bake that into a larger idea. Like when we're talking to a, 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 a biotech that did a lot of data science work, the, the message to the data science was all about, this is why you should choose biotech because you're going to save lives. Whereas the, to the biologists, they showed up expecting to save lives. Why they went to school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was, this was ex anticipated. This was explaining water to a fish. To a data scientist, it is, was effectively a sector value proposition. This is why you should not spend your data science there trying to sell widgets or trying to recommend widgets. Yeah. It's like, look, go play with genes and, and figure out you know how to save lives that can get baked into it so that the the the, the asterisk i want to apply to all those vps that i i get and i understand and hope never to kind of have to wrestle with myself is that you only have to wrestle with it when it's appropriate and i think yes. one of the biggest challenges and i'm gonna guess you agree with me on this one is it's so easy to expand the balloon, to kind of make this project take the entire space. And one of our jobs is to say, yes, that's possible. Is that effective? Is that going to get you where you want to go? Is that useful immediately? Is that something we can table for a later date? Is that something where, you know what, in a utopian world where all things were wonderful and puppy dogs were cute and everyone had them, then yes, we would do that. But right now you have a set budget and a finite resources and a focus and a demand that is on fire. Let's go solve this problem now, please. Back to episode one of this podcast, deciding what you're not going to do. That's having a strategy is going right with these are the bits that we need do them. Yeah. So right. that's 
So, I, so you I did mention, so you, so you said yeah. how in some EVPs, if you have four values, you probably have four pillars. And I was like, ah, this is going to freak people out because they're going to say, oh, value equals pillar, right? That's the trap we get. So let's disabuse everyone of this notion. Are EVP and values connected? And if so, how? So I, I think this is another one of these ones where, you know, the terminology gets confusing because all sorts of different consultants use different things. So quite often marketing people will talk about the brand values, which are not the same as your corporate values. And, and quite often when they say brand values, they are kind of talking about pillars or themes. They've just called them brand values rather than calling them. Right. Uh, but that's where the, some of the confusions come from. Whereas obviously a lot of your businesses are going to have a set of corporate values, which can exist for some really different reasons. I've done a lot of values projects with clients developing values. And always the first part of any values projects is agreeing, what kind of values are we doing there, folks? Which values are these? Are these the values that we put in front of customers to say, this is why you want to use our products or our services? Or are these the values that the new chief executive has brought in as part of a change program? Or are these the happy everyone hold hands, this is who we are? And those are three very different things because the customer one is going to say some things that are blindingly obvious, but that make customers happy. So, you know, if 33 did those kind of values, we might say creativity. Now, that's not going to change anything that anybody at 33 does, but it might be something customers want to hear. But everyone at 33 was creative already. We didn't need to tell them to be creative, right? So it's not doing anything internally. It's a purely external value. Whereas the change program value is probably going to define something you're bad at or at least you're not as good as you want to be. And it's you can spot them because they'll have things like, you know, they very often have things like collaboration in them. You know, if you put collaboration in the values, it might be because it's true now, but quite often it's because it isn't. And you're trying to improve, you know, collaboration. And that's a change value set. Um, now, if you use the change value set to start creating your EVP, the problem is you're going to codify lots of things that aren't true right now. They might be your weak Correct. points. Yes, and so aspirational. using that aspirational directional value set to create your EVP is quite dangerous. Yeah. You can still do it, but you're going to have to talk about this is where we're going. Do you want to come with us? You can't say this is true now because it isn't and you know it isn't. Yeah. Um, whereas if it's a value set that's been created of let's celebrate the best of where we are now. Yeah, absolutely. You could build an EVP off those very, very easily. And, it, and those ones, it's just like, right, if our value is X, what does that mean for someone joining us? Why would they like that? What's good news about that value for them? But you can't pretend that everything about that value is good news for them. Some of them isn't. Some of it is a constraint. It's an expectation. It's something we want from you. It's not a sell. It is something we are demanding from you. But you can always find the sell within it. So if you took one like integrity, right? Integrity is something you're asking of me that I'm going to behave with integrity. Hopefully I would have done anyway. But it's something you're demanding of me. But the good news for me might be everyone around me is going to be behaving with integrity. Okay, I can rely on my colleagues. I can trust people. No one's going to stab me in the back. Okay, that, that now starts to become a selling point. But you do need to do that conversion. But yeah, so have a hard look at your values and go, you know, question number one is, do you even know what they are? If you don't even know what they are, they have no valency within the business now already. Probably not a good starting place. But if you do know what they are, then figure out what job are those values doing and therefore how should I use them? Because if they're a customer value, they're probably not going to work very well. No. And an awful lot of them are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing is that the values have to balance aspirational, who you are, what the expectations yeah. are, what the behaviors are, what the experience of working there is supposed yeah. to be. And that's where, because yeah. that's what a candidate is looking for. Like you yeah. are a, you know, for all the work you're doing, you are functionally a black box. No one knows what's going on in there, what's really like. They know that you've got the, you know, the, we talked about the, Potem the Potemkin village of why it's wonderful and here's the stock art and here are the smiling people. And yeah. they go, yeah. And, and I, I personally, the reason why I got into employer brand, the reason why I'm passionate about it is because I've had jobs that were amazing and jobs that were atrocious. And from the outside, they looked exactly the same. And that Completely. is the big, that is the, the problem we're trying to solve. The more you explain what it's like to work there, leveraging those culture and values, because that is what the shaper of your brand, of your work experience is. The better you can be credible about them, be crystal clear about them, the more someone's going to feel confident saying, I accept this role. And that is where Absolutely. the game for the most part gets played. What we're talking about is you know, lots of claims we get to make, lots of pretty words we get to put out, lots of pretty pictures, but credibility is lacking. And so we have to, our jobs are to dive a little deeper, to unpack why does the company do this? 
And if, yes. that, if you understand the whys of what that's going on, you can kind of extrapolate and say, ah, so Facebook and move fast and break things, fun little tagline, but let's be fair, totally in their DNA. And it told you what they were going to be like tomorrow, and it told you what they were going to be like yeah, if yeah. they, I don't know, Congress decides to bring them in and, and ask them questions. It told you who they were going to be should, you know, they told you so much about it because it was true to themselves. And that allows yeah. a candidate to say, I'm down with that. I can I can live with that. I want that. Or, or the choice to say that sounds terrifying I, I think the best promises you can make to a candidate are the promise that you can explain logically this is why this is true this is why this thing happens and here are loads of examples of it and, and the closer I can get that example to you the more you will believe it so but but you know it's not you can't just throw the examples you've got to say right the reason Okay, we're Facebook. The reason we move fast and break things is because we're a tech company and we believe that that will make us more profitable and that brings the credibility of why we are that way. And now here's some example of people moving fast and breaking things and yeah. more specifically, not being sacked for moving fast and breaking things. Because yeah, that's the, that, the key yeah. thing. It's not just move yeah. fast and break things and that's okay is, is kind of the, the, the critical kind of little coda that needs to be added to the end of that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that kind of... You have to look at the the values are a really good place to start. You know, if I'm doing an EVP project, I always want to look at the values, but I will always ask clients when they're sending me all these kind of bits of corporate literature, it's like, tell me off the record, how is this thing seen? Is this crucial fundamental document that everybody knows off by heart and I could stop a random person in the corridor and they could tell me it? Or is this something you had to dig out of a folder in order to send it to me? How long did it take you to find this document you've just sent me? not just here is a document because you know i've worked with businesses where you know that relationship between the values and the evps has been absolutely like, explicit we've made it visible we've called them similar things and i've worked with other clients where we've we've gone those are the values but they were done eight years ago and none of us could remember what they were let's put them over there you know and, and that's and, where you and, dive and in and say yeah, but that's when you get to dive in and do survey work and start to say, okay, what is the experience now? What's really going on? Completely. Completely. Yeah. And at the end of that project, you might actually have a follow-on project to go, actually, we need to update the values now, don't we? Right. Yeah. That, that, that has happened to me several times. Is actually, we've ended up going, yeah, because we couldn't use the values, perhaps there's a problem there, CEO. Should we do something about that? Yeah. And then you do. Um, so, yeah, I, I think... So what have we done? We've done we've done EVP and EVP structure, and we've drifted onto values from there. Should we do the other sort of big one that I guess we haven't specifically gone into yet, which is the employer brand? What is an employer brand, and is there a difference between employer brand and employer branding, as some people insist there is? Oh, oh, or, here we go. And you know, we're going to get we're going to get into the argument about that phrase. It's what people say when you're not in the room, and how we feel about that. Jeff, 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 Jeff just planted that flag. Like that is the thing we've been all indoctrinated. Like Jeff, congratulations on all your money, but like that's that's a nice shorthand, but it is it's leaving so much value on the table. It's a beautiful phrase, but I don't think it's actually very helpful. I mean, the the way I tend to sort of split it out for you is: should we call that employer reputation, and then we won't get confused between the brand where we're going to create some stuff and things and publish things and create stuff and how people see us. Because that's a lovely phrase, but it's actually going to cause us loads of confusion if we're not clear what we mean by the brand. Yeah. And actually, your reputation might be wrong. Your reputation might be unfair. For an awful lot of you, your reputation is zero. People think precisely nothing of you. And if your employer brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room, you have no employer brand because no one is talking about you when you're not in the room. Come on, get over yourself. And like, unless you're a really big employer, you're not that interesting. Who is talking about you when you're not in the room? Come on now. Yeah. Um, oh, what I like what I, what I like about separating reputation from brand is that reputation yeah. has this connotation that it exists in space and yeah. we have no influence over it, right? I can't really change yeah. my reputation. I can change things that impact reputation, but the expectation yes. is the reputation is over there. My brand yes. is something I have influence and autonomy and agency over. Yeah. I can't like just state it and call it a day. I have to do a lot of influencing work, but it feels like I can't really change my reputation directly. I can do a lot of strong work on my brand. Uh, yeah, e exactly. And I suppose to some extent, you could kind of say the same thing with employee value proposition and employee experience. There's a kind of similar distinction there between what you are promising and how that's actually happening in a bunch of different places. And that includes some people who disagree with it, right? And it will do because you've got loads of line managers who are going to behave differently. So yeah, I think 
that's where I would tend to go is let's I think it's probably going to be easier for you if you think of employer brand as the bits that you are going to actively take control of and do and it contains all the stuff and things all the pretty pictures and all the lovely words and all the videos and all the social plans and all of that and every single job ad you put out and once you take it through into internal communications every single piece of internal communication starts to come into play as well but it's kind of it is kind of stuff and things whereas employee reputation is something that you can't control directly that's the that's the output we are trying to change totally totally but if you start conflating the two things you get really confused about what you're talking about and, and, and what you can I've do i've seen people make some horrible errors by not understanding which one they were talking about at the time yeah and that's why Glassdoor got so famous for so long is they could take a kind of a, a, a weaponized reputation and say, that's your employer <laughs> brand. And that's what they sold yeah. for 10 odd years, yeah. right? That, that's, that's how they existed. And I'm glad that in general, we started to pull that back a bit. It's funny, it never quite had the influence over this side of the Atlantic, that it, you okay. know, it was all powerful in the, in the US it, oh, for, for certainly. A, a, in, in a massive way. Um, you know, and genuinely, like for good reasons, it was getting more usage stats than it was over here. It never quite took off over here. I think because British people don't trust each other. Like, you know, it's not, not only do we not trust employers, we don't trust other reviewers. So actually, we're much more cynical about believing other reviewers in the first place. So, you know, I, I expected to be the one making British jokes. And so far, you've, you've been you've been knocking them out of the park. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 there's nothing British people love more than making fun of their own country. You know, I mean, goodness, John, John Oliver has come over to the US and made an absolute fortune doing nothing but. Exactly. But exactly. What makes one artist more creative is their focus on saying something meaningful, something true that we all instinctively feel but never saw. Artists start with an insight. When you ask better questions and look deeper, you create better insight. And it's insight that leads to more creative thinking, the kind that moves people. If you'd like to learn more about an employer brand agency that knows how to use insight to produce creative work that truly moves people, check out the award-winning agency, 33. It is, it is kind of interesting. I think you, you've got to draw the distinction between these are the bits that I can control and those are the bits that I can't and the reputation. And as I say, the reality check is for an awful lot of you listening to this, your reputation is not very much, right? No, the, uh, exactly. You know, except for the people who actually worked for you or know someone who's actually worked for you or who've actively been through a recruitment process. The vast majority of people you might yeah, be dealing with, is, your reputation is, with them is zero. Yeah, they, they, yeah, you're talking about a total population of, of almost nothing. So. Employer brand, employer branding, my, I'm going to throw yeah. this out there. So if I think of them as concentric circles, the EVP idea, whether it's a brand direction, whether it's a brand promise, whatever, this idea is a, is your, is the center of the bullseye. It's where you're trying to yeah. get everyone towards the brand yeah. is everything around it because it's influenced by boots on the ground, real world experience. Somebody had a bad day. What people thought that day, we just had a stock price go up. We just had a stock price go down. We just let a lot of people off. We just bought a company. All that stuff, in fact, impacts the brand. And around that is yeah. the branding, which is the work you do to take the brand yeah. and plug it into as many parts of the company as possible. And then, you know, beyond that is experience and, 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 and all the other stuff. So that's my first, my first kind of like putting it out there. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I guess I don't really have a terribly strong opinion in this kind of trying to draw a distinction between employer brand and employer branding. I've known other people get quite intense about it as being a diff. But I think as long as it's back to this point of as long as you know what you're doing at each point, it doesn't really matter. And as long as you know that the people you're talking to at any point, they understand what you think you're doing as well. I mean, I think that, that getting back to the, you know, whatever we're going to call it, this stuff and things that you're actually going to do is you're going to create a platform that allows you to talk to people and it's going to have some messages and it's going to have some pictures and it might have a tone of voice and you're going to agonize over the fact that your tone of voice is exactly the same as everyone else's because it probably is yeah, almost um, always is. and then yeah, yeah i mean you know if, if it says clear honest you know likable professional yet friendly you know and these are all good communication things those are all good do have them in your tone of voice but they're not differential um and then, and then you're going to create some toolkits and some playbooks, and you're going to create a bunch of things to get the people who are actually going to communicate on your behalf to do that effectively. And actually, those might be very different. You know, I, I, I personally hate the analogy of employer brand toolkits because I have no idea what 
you know what an employer brand hammer is or what an employer brand adjustable screwdriver might be <laughs> i think i think i think we've all been hit by the employer analogy. brand hammer now and then it's, it's, <laughs> but, it's been a thing yeah but the, but it's not a very good analogy but you, you're going to come up with some stuff and you're going to go right there are a bunch of people who write job ads for us i need to equip them to do that better to do that, I might give them some stuff and things that say, right, here are some things you can use. Here are some things you can cut and paste. I might give them some advice and training. Training is a big part of this. It's like, how am I going to equip these people to do what they do better? Bearing in mind what I said earlier, these are not people who started their career as writers, and now we're expecting them to write on behalf of your company. We should probably equip them to do that, shouldn't we? Yeah. So like, there's a bunch of stuff that you're going to need to do. And then there's going to be other people you might want to use this who, who do have that skill set. So yeah, internal comms, typically, you're going to have some people who've got brilliant writing skills, but they don't know is anything about employment law or how you ought to communicate about HR because that's not their specialty. Okay, right, how do we equip them to talk consistently as well? And, and you need to think through, right, what are all the stuff and things I need to create my employer brand? And some of it's really simple. Some of it is not complicated. So like very often when I've done an employer brand project, the first deliverable that actually makes it out the door is the briefing pack to external recruiters, because that can be really simple. It's just, please say these things, please don't say those things. Boom, right, your employer brand is now in deployment phase. Because, that, you know, and that's something you can do as soon as you've agreed what, it, what the EVP should be. You can, you can do that because that just needs some text in an email. Brilliant, we've got that, we've done the EVP. You can do that before you've even decided what pictures you're gonna have, or you've done the yeah. staff photo shoot, or any of those other things, you know. There's a lot of value in just replacing terms. It's like, look, we don't call them jobs, we call them careers. We call them this, we don't call them that. Like just a, a 10 or 20 list that you hand to every recruiter, you hand to anybody, hiring manager, just say, let's make these yeah. minor adjustments in our vernacular and in vernacular, it creates so much more focus. Right, it's it's not forcing people to be minor birds and parrots and say, say the line, say the line, say the line. It is look, you're, you you have agency here. You have you know it's your it's your company it, because it's your part of the yeah, company. Yeah. It exists. And what is it's your experience. It's yours. It's authentic. It's honest. But we'd prefer if you use these terms to create some sense of alignment because you can't flip a switch and create the brand alignment. Boom, it's there. It's a big boat to move. And to your point, you communicate those ideas to different audiences internally and externally very differently, whether you're writers, whether you're recruiters, whether you're whatever. And this is the first way of saying, look, everybody, we're just kind of swapping out some very simple things. We say these things now yeah, and yeah. that gets the ball moving. And, and I think you, you've got to think really sensibly and pragmatically about how interesting is this project to those people and therefore what's a reasonable intervention to make. So if someone is in TA, I can train them on the employee brand and they can I can expect them to turn up to that and I can kind of measure them against it and I can police what they're doing. Every single line with that manager within your business? Probably not. So you need to start thinking about right, where and when should I make the intervention? So like with one employer, we kind of went, right, the point at which we need every line manager to really know the employer brand really well is when they put in a requisition for a new member of staff. That's the moment to make an intervention is you're about to hire, brilliant, read this. And it reminds them, this is what you should be saying in your job ad. This is what should, should be saying when that person comes into interview. And then with another employer, it was, right, there's a piece of automatic communication that goes to them when they've got a candidate coming in for interview. That's the intervention point. And it says, it said all sorts of practical things like, don't forget to book a meeting room. Don't forget to tell reception they're coming. But it also said, don't forget to tell the candidate A, B, C, and D. Come up with examples of A, B, C, and D. That is our employer brand. That is what they've been told about in the job ads. So make sure you've got something to say about A, B, C, and D. Because if this candidate is good, they're going to ask you about A, B, C, and D because they've read the ad, they've read the careers site. And actually it's good, it, like the line managers responded really well to it because it was prepping them with the information when they needed it, yes, not when we'd like to tell them it. And it wasn't and, abstract. And it wasn't that, some big idea of, hey, everybody, here, change your whole conception around it. It's like, no, just here's some just some very simple, very pragmatic solutions you can have right now. Exactly. So I think you know you, the 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 process of going through that employer branding bit is, you know, after you've done an EVP, you're going to need to do a, a really fun bit where you do some creative work and that'll be loads of fun. And you'll decide, oh, are our ads going to have pink donkeys in them or purple dinosaurs or, you know, are we going to have photography or are we not? And, you know, you, and, you, and you might come up with a strap line that comes to the corner. You do not have to have a strap line, but you can. And you're going to do all that creative phase. And then there's going to be a much more mechanical phase about, OK, now that we've done all of that, how do we actually deploy this out there? Who needs what? 
and how do we equip them with it and what do we need to make to bring this thing to life and if you're a small so, size that might just be you yeah it's yeah. it might be one person doing all of that so it's fine you're the only audience for this well, yeah so one thing i see is that very often people can uh, people kind of confuse the creative expression of the brand with the brand and i i, I even amongst employer brand practitioners i you know i'm always back boggled yep. by people who say what's who's your favorite employer brand i'm like you don't actually know most companies employer brands even the ones who do it really well that brand yep expression is sitting somewhere in a deck in a poster internal yeah. and what you are seeing is the is the is the expression of that in a public fashion and what you see is the you know the style guide the the, the tagline the hat the strap line whatever we're calling it all that stuff is a visual expression to say look we want to make you feel and think these things but internally, what you're saying is very yeah. different. And I think most companies don't quite get that. They think, oh, I'm going to hire an employer brand. He's gonna, he or she is going to give me a tagline. I'm going to slap on everything that moves, call uh -huh. it a day. And you're like, no, 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 no. It's an internal conceptual idea. You can express a million different ways, but it creates alignment in a way that the candidate doesn't have to see. But if you do it right, they absolutely feel like they're not, you know, it's not obvious. It's not like smacking them in the face. They, oh, we're like this. It's not a, it's not a, a Geico commercial or a Cadbury commercial with a drum and gorilla, right? It's Cadbury, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Is that what that was? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was just like, yeah. it, for those of you who are not British and who haven't looked it for, g Google that video of the Cadbury drumming gorilla worth it um that's a that's a smack in the face commercial and that's what commercials are supposed to do for the most part it's supposed to be hey i've interrupted your life for 30 seconds or 60 seconds walk 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 i'm gonna wear a chicken outfit i'm gonna do whatever it takes to get your attention behind yeah. that is the value proposition is the idea that is often very subtle and very quiet yeah and and, and you might or might not share it with your audience you might show them behind the magic but you don't have to and some brands do and some brands don't some some brands make a brilliance of actually exposing the proposition right out there one of my so that something you said earlier is there's very often a conflation of the particularly the strap line with the evp or the strap line with the brand and i've had clients go oh well evp is you know make great careers happen or something and i'm like okay that's a strap line, but talk me through it. Yeah. Explain to me. What, right. what does that mean? But, yeah, but it, 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 there's there's kind of like, I, I think there is a lot of confusion because different people use different terminology and you just have to be really crystal clear on what you mean at any point. You can expose the whole workings to the external world. And sometimes you see something that's a strap line that appears on an advert and you go, gosh, that wasn't actually the strap line. That was what went into the brief for the, to the creative team, but they decided to actually use it and yeah. show it yeah. to the world. Um, my favorite one, I don't know if it's a brand that exists in the US, but there's a DIY brand that you can buy stuff in the UK, like uh, wood stain and paints and things called Ron Seal. Does that exist in the state? Right. Yes, yes, it does. No, it does, it does. yeah, but they're, they're their strapline of does exactly what it says on the tin is what went onto the brief. And someone went, well, actually, we don't need a strapline. Let's just use that. But it, they, they are using their proposition as a strapline, which is quite clever. Not it, most brands are not doing that. You know, Nike's brand position is not is not just do it. That's the strapline that they put on. Things. Yes, yes in order to drive towards the things that they want you to actually feel about them which is you know to, more to do with how it empowers you and how it makes you feel and there's there's a more complicated document somewhere that they're never going to show you but you could probably find on the internet about what is sitting behind that line and i think you know you just need to know what you're doing at every point and you also need to get real with the business about you know a single pithy strap line is never going to encapsulate all the things that you actually want to say about yourselves it is a label that you're going to use exactly like a logo or exactly like any other part of your kind of your your badge and once someone's read it two or three times they stop reading it it's you know it's just there and i'm no longer actually reading it. but it's part of the identity and i see that phrase and i go oh it's you and it's it, and i don't even necessarily need to understand it um, so the car company, Audi, I don't know if they use this line in the States, but all around Europe, they use this line of Vorsprung durch Technik, which was designed to kind of make you go, oh, it must be really well designed because it's German. But it's a bit of a nonsense. I have no idea what, whether that actually translates as anything at all. But if I saw that word, I go, Audi, straight away. And it, 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 it's like their logo. It exists as a badge rather than actually really having any meaning. And I think any It's a symbol. Yeah, exactly. A, and then strap strapline starts to be that after you've seen it mm -hmm. enough times. 
and it's never yeah, like, going to be the fullness yeah, of your like, promise. Yeah, the just do it is so great because it's so concise, but after you've seen it twice, yeah. you don't see it. You just see this shape and you go, yeah, I know what that means. Yeah. 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 And, and, right. and actually, at no point did I ever really know what that meant. I just kind of feel like I should do. So. <laughs> it's the greatest strap play in the world. Come on. I thought it's they teach that everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have gone on quite a bit. This has been a fantastic conversation. Is there anything kind of as a last note, what's a, what's a, what's a takeaway somebody should take away from this when they're either thinking about branding, thinking about talking to somebody about employer brand? I think what started this conversation for us before we hit the button was this idea that when you want to talk to an agency or you're looking for help on these things, knowing yeah. definitions and knowing how to ask good questions sets you up for the best possible conversation. If you go and say, hey, I want to buy an EVP, anybody can sell you an EVP, but is that what you actually needed? So what is the takeaway you would have from this conversation? I, I think, you know, always qualify what you're talking about with whoever you're talking to, you know, you know, so in particularly, like if you're engaging with an agency, you know, we'll ask you this question if you don't tell us, but you can say, hey, 33, interested in uh, working with you, perhaps to develop an EVP, which we think is this, and, and tell us what you think you're, where, where you're going with it. And, and, you know, and give us some of that information of, you know, where, what the things around it are like, you know, so often it's, we've got a new brand coming along and we'd like to align it. So, okay, that's good. That's what we're doing here. But I think, don't assume that anybody understands exactly the same thing as you did by the thing that you just said. Actually, whether it's your colleagues, whether it's an external agency, whether it's a third party supplier, don't assume that everybody's using the same language because they really aren't. Work out what, what you think you mean by these phrases and then tell people, this is what I want you to do or this is what I'm trying to do. Can you help? And, and then you'll have a much more rich conversation because otherwise you could go quite a long way with everyone being too polite and not asking each other, yeah, but what do you think that means? And, and you know, I, I'm a very rude person. I'm perfectly prepared to go, can I just check what you meant by that? You know, because if we get that wrong, we'll, we, we could design completely the wrong process for you. We could come up with the wrong answer for you. And, you know, it's great when you know, you've got a real sense of clarity of, I know exactly what I mean by this. And, and yeah. Personally, I can give two hoots if your definition is completely different to everyone else's. As long as you know what it is and I know what it is and anybody else who needs to knows what it is, yeah. brilliant. Yeah. We can get it done. Exactly. Exactly. And I think one of the things when you're working with an outside agency or an outside partner in any way, shape or form, there does come to have that moment where you feel like, what are, what, what are all these terms? What are all these ideas? Why are they asking for all this stuff? Why, why are they building all this? Why are they building this very complicated Jenga tower of brand and brand purpose and mission and promise and da 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 yeah. like, I would highly recommend anybody talking to someone like Marcus, like me, like anybody else who does this work to simply ask each piece, what is the problem that particular piece is trying to solve? What is the brand trying to solve? What is the AVP trying to solve? What is the direction trying to solve? What is the value trying to solve? All of it, when you get it, you understand that it's all necessary in many cases, not every case, right? Smaller companies yeah. don't need quite so much, but it is absolutely critical that you ask that every piece, what is the problem that is trying to solve? And once you do that, you resolve, you know, a lot of what you were talking about, like, are we on the same page? We are the same definition. Once you understand the problem you're trying to solve, you understand how the pieces work, which is going to serve you. The second that agency or partner walks out the door and you go, now what? Really? Because now you know what? It, no, it, exactly. And I think, you know, Back to that thing we you know we, we've said repeatedly throughout these episodes is don't just copy everyone else you don't have to do the same as everyone else you might look at some bits and go with the best one in the world we don't need to do that we don't need any tvps because actually we we're not big enough that that we need to get to that level of complexity fine don't do anything you don't need only do the bits you need to do and then you're much more likely to get where you need to be quickly rather than if you try to take on everything. It can get so complicated so quickly and it maybe wasn't necessary. Totally. So. All right. Cool. A fantastic place to end. So Marcus, as always, an amazing conversation. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. Absolutely. No, it's been a really interesting discussion. I was intrigued to know whether we'd agree with each other. I think we're more or less on the same page. Pretty close. Stuff, Pretty but, close. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's... Uh, it's fine if you're listening to this and thinking, well, I don't agree with either of them. Yeah, that's, that's okay. Fine. There are yeah. people who don't. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, there are a lot of people who don't. But that's <laughs> fine. That's fine. All right, everybody. We'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to The Brand Plan. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd appreciate it if you'd spread the word. 